Welcome, everyone, to the Thursday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Crawley. And just a warning, today's pod's going to be a little negative. There was not a lot of great things happening. It was a gloomy day in Wilmington, and the news was representative of that. So we'll start with the big story, the National Jobs Report. No, 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 not the big one. That one comes out on Friday. On Wednesday, we had the ADP National Employment Report and talk about a swing and a miss. Some are already worried that this report could be the first indicator that the economy is already starting to slow down or at least interrupt the recovery, however you want to put it. National employment was up 330,000 jobs in July, which was led by mid-sized businesses that created about 132,000, followed by large businesses, which created 106,000. And small businesses created 91,000. So here's the problem. Forecast had expected this report to show creation of 695,000 jobs. That is more than double what the actual report was. So they weren't even, it wasn't even half the size that they were expecting. That is a little worrisome. And here's the biggest reason why the ADP report tends to be the most optimistic, especially when compared to the monthly jobs report. So a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, if ADP is missing this big, what could happen on Friday? I mean, for example, in May, I remember that huge jobs report miss for, of course, we're talking about the big monthly jobs report from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. They were projecting you know, a million. Some people said two million. Others were saying somewhere in between like one and a half million. And the report comes out and it's 226,000. And I just had never seen a report miss that big. And so people are worried because that month, that was the month of May, looking at April's data, that the ADP report showed 970,000 jobs. And so if the ADP report is coming in at 3.30, what does that mean going forward? And maybe, you know, one of the hopeful things I saw, I think it was Zero Hedge on Twitter, said, well, the good thing is, is that ADP is always wrong. So maybe in this case, they're wrong the other way. They're too pessimistic. And the uh, jobs report actually comes in bigger than we're expecting. But I think that's what everyone has their fingers crossed for. But let's say it doesn't happen. Is there a silver lining in all this? I found one. I found one. It took me a while on Twitter. Uh, Jerome Blocklin of True Insights found one silver lining in all of this, tweeting a big miss on ADP payrolls. U.S. economy created 330,000 jobs against 690,000 expected. This reduces the odds of a formal tapering announcement anytime soon. So he's like, well, I guess we won't be tapering anytime, which, of course, The markets are very terrified of tapering happening, and there is no doubt if the Friday jobs report is this bad, yeah, we're, yeah. I mean, Jerome Powell made it very clear in his testimony or his press conference when he was asked questions about this. He said, listen, you know, we're not happy with where the labor force is. (laughs) And if that number comes in anything under what I think the expectations are for around, I think it's close to 700,000, somewhere around there. If they're not there, I mean, it's not even going to be on the tip of his tongue to mention unless he's saying, yeah, we're definitely not doing that. So, yeah, all eyes are now on today's initial jobless claims. Those will be coming out later today at 830. And then, of course, Friday, the big jobs report, the monthly jobs report for July. 
And a lot of people are obviously hoping ADP is a fluke. And this is not a sign of things to come. But like I said, the ADP reports, usually the more optimistic. So we shall see. We, we, we got two days. We got today and tomorrow. So Monday's show could be a little depressing. Just throwing it out there. Now, speaking of concern, lawmakers, policymakers, they're always concerned about something. They got to worry about something. And Lauren Fedor over at the Financial Times says that policymakers are becoming increasingly concerned about the rising price of housing for not only just homeowners, but the impact that it's having on renters. Fedor looks at the housing market in Columbus, Ohio, as an example of what is happening nationwide, and it's not too far off. For example, prices in Columbus, average sales price has jumped 15.8% in the past year. This is not far off from the national average, which is 16.6%, according to the last CoreLogic Case-Shiller Index update. But of course, yesterday, we talked about the Tuesday report from CoreLogic that showed 17.2. So we'll see. <laughs> it all depends on which numbers you're looking at. Time on market. A decade ago, the average house in Ohio's leafy state capital, Columbus, would sit on the market for about 100 days before being sold. Today, 10 10 days. And this is just unprecedented. Michael Jones, a real estate agent at Coldwell Banker Realty with more than 20 years experience in central Ohio, told the Financial Times, it has never been like this. It's unprecedented. Now, this, of course, is not 2008. And I do appreciate that Fedor makes this very clear, pointing out that this has nothing to do you know, with bad lending or anything anything close to 2008. What this is about is a concern about a different kind of crisis, an affordability crisis. Fedor explains how housing prices are impacting renters, saying, quote, the house price spiral is feeding into the rental market. According to apartment list, the national median rent has risen 11.4% so far this year, more than three times the average increase in the same period in the previous three years. Now, obviously, you're going to see some impact because of COVID, but there is no doubt that housing prices eventually are going to impact the rental market. That's something that we've talked about before here on the pod. One of the big arguments that was made by people like John Malden that they saw this housing crisis in 2008 was they said rents don't support values. So when housing prices are rising, but rents aren't, you know that there's a problem. You have a disequilibrium. So if housing prices are rising because of markets and the markets are causing housing prices to rise, rents are then also going to increase. And that's what you're seeing. And they're worried at what point is it more and more difficult for people to find affordable housing. So we've seen this before and we're going to keep seeing it as long as houses continue to move upwards, uh, which we'll see. I mean, we talked about the CoreLogic report yesterday that said that they expect year over year only 3% growth on an annualized basis. So the end of this year, I think is going to be really telling about what's happening with home prices. If they're still sky high, yeah, <laughs> that's really going to worry lawmakers without question. But if things start cooling down, 
uh, you're probably going to see less concern in Washington over this. Now, speaking of cooling off, mortgage demand fell for the week ending in July 30th. That according to the Mortgage Bankers Association latest weekly survey. They were down across the board. The refi index fell 2% and was down 3% when compared to the same time a year ago. Uh, Purchases were also down. The purchase index fell 2% from the previous week, but was down much bigger on a year-to-year basis. 18% drop when compared to the same time a year ago. And the refinance share of mortgage activity saw a slight one basis point uptick to now make up 67% point six percent of total mortgage applications now interest rates we'll get to that here in a second fell under three percent for the first time since february and mike frantantoni mba's senior vice president and chief economist said in a statement that this presents quote an opportunity for many homeowners who have not yet refinanced to lower their rate and of course their payments and i gotta tell you these numbers are impressive any way you look at it. The uh, MBA weekly survey found that the 30-year fixed, the average contract interest rate for the 30-year fixed, fell four basis points to 2.97%, which was 17 basis points lower than the same time a year ago. And the 15-year, I mean, this is just nuts. The 15-year, the average contract contract interest rate fell three basis points to 2.33%. This is 40 basis points lower than the same time a year ago. So, I mean, seriously, who's not refinancing right now? If you missed the wave last year, here you go. Here, I mean, what are you waiting for rates to go negative? Come on. 2.33% 15 year. (laughs) Oh, man, that is nuts. Can you imagine talking to someone in the 70s? <laughs> telling them you can get a 15-year fixed rate mortgage for 2.33%. Oh, my gosh, time machines. Good thing they don't exist. That's all I'll say. All right, we got to go. Um, oh, today, today, what is happening today? Oh, we got the initial jobless claims. Oh, and we have trade deficit information coming out. Obviously, more people are going to be watching the initial jobless claims than what's happening with trade. But we'll be talking about both tomorrow here on the podcast. You guys enjoy your Thursday. And as always, do not wait to buy real estate. You buy real estate and wait.